Welcome everyone to the Daredevil Podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is a guy so dedicated to the show that whenever he has a nice hot tea, it's always with baking soda, whiskey, and toilet bowl cleaner. It's Pete. Hello, Pete. I see you got my message. The Daredevil Podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 208, Guilty as Sin, is brought to you by Black Sky Tea. We don't know what it does, but your hand will want it. One more outburst and I'll hold you in contempt. Let's enter the evidence into the record and give the devil his due. Our teaser, Matt, looking at your bottomless hole. Wow. Uh, and quickly, oh, it's hit. We've indeed, as as mentioned by Spoiler Pete, I believe last time, I think that was that was on mic and not off mic, Um the the flashlight indeed does not fall forever pete it's got to be 40 stories down oh and also there are ninja stars coming their way sure uh, you can <laughs> so true pete they don't have heartbeats and matt can't pick them up electra doesn't seem particularly worried she tells him to track the weapons after all he can hear swords it's a murky fight but it certainly fits where they are and uh, slowly, they kind of move more into the light. We can see more of them. Pete, are, are they dressed kind of like Electra with the black and the red? They've got some serious ninja outfits on here. You note they have bows and arrows as well, in addition to their swords and their Chinese throwing star. Sure you can for uh, those who uh, speak the Japanese. But... No sooner are they perilously close to this seemingly bottomless pit than Matt asks Electra or tells her, don't kill that guy. She pauses and gets the world's worst scrape across her belly. It's somewhere along here, by the way, that Matt also calls her Electra, which probably is not a good long-term move to sit and say, hey, daredevil. Watch out is a lot different than, you know, the rather unique name of a woman of about that build and that height who's in New York and has the accent. Anyhow, uh, post her slicing, Matt helps her fight wise. Two more goons get him. Then a third comes. Uh, they're about to kill Matt. Pete, is this the end? Oh, no. The bad guys get hit. It's stick. Stick is bat back rather ending the teaser act. Uh, who says, so, who wants to get the hell out of here? The rest of the show proper begins with an old car with New York license plates speeding through the street, and I instantly worried, is Stick behind the wheel? <laughs> uh, he, he looks like he has a, a driver helper friend. I had the exact same uh, the exact same concern, but Pete, there's a larger concern. Electra is in the back, bleeding badly. Um, Stick can hear that ninjas are following. This whole driving portion here with masked baddies in tow and the car weaving and trying to elude them is great. It would be just as interesting visually in a comic, but it's better how they show it here. It's better being real. There's just something that is slightly unnatural and unusual, and, and I, 
I don't want to say unbelievable because we see it happening, but there's just so many bad guys coming after them out of nowhere. And uh, between waves one and two, we get uh, a little reprieve. Yeah. All the while, uh, Matt is asked to uh, hold Electra down. Um, at one point, he grabs an arrow after having punched a guy off the side of the car. Um, you know, the, the rooftops and seemingly endless uh, ninjas here uh, making their way, but they can't go to a hospital. Uh, they can't help her. They're going to go back to Matt's place. Stick is her only hope. And there's a there's a shift here, Matt, and it's that our daredevil Matt is now referring to Electra as sweetie. So uh, that's certainly a difference from where we've been as far as his relationship in the middle of all of this action. I think you you the the. Uh, audience member new to this episode must have uh, suspected that there'd be a, uh, a love triangle in the, in the uh, future. And here we are kind of uh, starting to, to admit that fact. Um, what is it that's wrong though with Electra that she can't go to the hospital? I love how that there's this kind of um, stick and the energy he's brought leaves Matt and the audience slightly behind things. And there's this hurry up and go here. We can kind of start to infer uh, but things become clearer as back at Matt's apartment. Stick orders up baking soda, whiskey, toilet bowl cleaner, and more. Uh, it's clear, I to me, it probably was clear to most of the audience that she has been poisoned. And uh, sure enough, Stick affirms very much uh, the same. He orders up pliers and hot tea. Uh, the gravity of the situation, I would argue, in this scene is more real than in most scenes just because if you know the fate of the comic character this is one way to get there you know in the next oh five minutes the idea here that they're working on her that they've got all these things matt you left out the black tea which is repeatedly asked for um i said hot tea pliers and hot tea okay uh, I, I just think that the number of times he asked for it, you're like, oh, it's, that, that's got to be really important. OK, um, you know, Matt repeatedly asks what's going on with her. I, I have to save her. You know, she's groaning on the couch. Her heart starts beating irregularly. We're told that the toxins have hit her bloodstream and then we're seeing in her um, neck the veins begin to turn black and nice piece of. Uh, if not makeup, special effects. Um, ultimately, we get her into the other room, uh, not before she starts to say, if I die, uh, sorry, I didn't tell you. We're not quite sure what she wants to communicate there, but it's a story point for later. In the bedroom there, uh, they get stick clean sheets, uh, he's going to save her, Stick is, but not before he makes her worse. And he plunges those whiskey uh, cleaned, cleansed uh, pliers into her gut. The blades, we're finally told, were poison. Uh, she would be dead in 20 minutes if Stick doesn't pull some serious juju out of his behind. Go make that tea. 
Um, and Matt begins to pray the Our Father with Electra. That's how we know he knows it's serious. Um, Matt, I was distracted by um, Scott Glenn's shoulders. Oh, how how so? For a for an older dude, he's got some muscular so- shoulders. I, I I certainly will grant you that. I. I think that he is such an interesting guy to have on screen visually. Um, I know that part of this, uh, part of the switch that's occurred in the last 10 or 15 years where everything is shot in HD, uh, consensus seems to be that 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 works really well for men as they age because you get all these interesting, you know, nooks and crannies and and wrinkles and and whatnot. He really, uh, I don't know, he he just is visually interesting to look at on camera. Uh, I'm, of course, not trying to suggest that an aging woman is not a visual delight. I'm just talking of kind of Hollywood consensus here. Um, but he's 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 a delight for the camera. I would argue that given that he has had less time acting blind the way Charlie Cox has, I think you can see a bit of a difference um, just in terms of how how the one acts blind versus the other. Uh, to me, it's not a, a huge knock because, again, the one guy is in his uh, well, 13, 14, 15, 16, 21st episode doing this, and Scott Glenn is in his second or third. So it's all good. Just want to point out, Pete, I'm assuming that the pliers were plying the poison skin when he plunged them into her. Not quite sure what the particulars are there, but given that we are on the edge of the mystical, it's uh, it, it's something I'll allow. Stick asks Maddie to use that hearing of his. How's her heart rate? It's good. It's steady. Um, They use the sheets here. Uh, Not too neat, but it'll do. And finally, given the tea, Stick drinks it. Because, Matt, do you know what black tea is good for? Tea Earl Grey hot? Stress. There's that too. So immediate problem solved. Stick returns to the living room. We're told that she probably is going to be fine in 24 hours. I know it's given a bit more dire than that, but it's kind of story code for I think she's going to pull through. Pete, she's always been, always been a hell of a fighter. Hey, that's because Stick has known her for a long time. Yeah, uh, Ellie that he calls her. Uh, He's never mentioned this. She never mentioned this. And um, Stick's not done in there, but Matt wants answers. Not unless uh, he wants Electra to die, though, will he keep Stick from going in there. And we head across town to the courthouse hall. There is that matter of the trial of this century. Called to testify is uh, Lieutenant Colonel Shuni. He's getting sworn in. Hey, Pete, that's Clancy Brown. That's amazing. It is amazing. Um, this Colonel Ray Shunover from the uh, Marine Corps is familiar with the service record of Frank Castle. And um, I noticed very quickly, and of course it becomes a story point later in his testimony, but his right hand was gloved and tucked in front of him, and I said, something's up here. I had not noticed that initially, but certainly as his story started to unfold, I was like, hey, fantastic actor. Uh, Clancy Brown is not moving a whole lot. 
it's it's a nice reveal. I I I think that it's ever so unbelievable that that wouldn't have been noticed ahead of time um by just the people observing but i think it's i think it's uh it, it's it's not unbelievable the service record is of course classified from afghanistan pakistan iran matt he was even in iran which uh not really a place we ever go on the record at least as far as recent combat um but uh, what he can tell us about how Frank Castle won the Navy Cross, the nature of the mission, um, besides its classification, uh, Foggy looks over to Karen, who shakes her head like, I don't know what to, what to do here. Um, finally, he, he just gets him to give him the details that he can, that Frank was part of a small team, that he was conducting close target reconnaissance in the vicinity of the Hindu Kush. Uh, so that would be in Pakistan. And uh, the mission became compromised. Enemy contact on three sides. Castle wanted to abort. The mission was a bust. He wanted to pull the plug to save lives. But the officer in charge said no. Why? Maybe because he wanted more medals on his chest. It doesn't matter. But Frank was right. Yeah, it's it's a, a speech. And a, it is a speech equal to the wonderful talents of Clancy Brown. Apart that I dare say is small enough to be, to have been beneath him, but he elevates it. Um, this notion that, uh, the, the enemy combatants, uh, had, had set a trap to get the helos to the LZ. The Americans would have to clear the, uh, clear the LZ, the landing zone there. And, uh, you know, the, the, the team thought that Frank was dead. Instead, there was Frank surrounded by 32 dead enemy combatants. Every team member lived. Great quote here. Frank Castle's a man who would gladly give his life to keep a man safe. Lieutenant Frank Castle is a hero. You're leaving out the most important part, though. Boxed into the canyon as they were, an hour in, that commanding officer who made the bad call had his arm blown off. We know this is ultimately uh, Clancy Brown's character here colonel schoonover but frank the number two assumed command and rather than order another man to go clear that lz he took it upon him himself and single-handedly killed 32 enemies so that they could walk out of there with their lives the real sizzle to the to the stake in this scene, though, is the best reveal, perhaps, in all of Daredevil so far, and it it's a record that stands for the remaining thirty minutes of the episode. Uh, Reyes cross examines. She thanks the colonel for his service, but how does anyone really know that these war stories are true? Because the GD idiot commanding officer is the colonel, and he gave his right arm to find out Frank was right. Boom! Amazing. The only way, Matt, the only way it could have been a better reveal is if he grabbed and, and showed them the severed arm. You see this? This belonged to that guy. Oh, yeah, me. I, I wonder if that was discussed and perhaps 
pre- or, or some version of that because the fact that he doesn't even bring the bring the the the, the gloved hand up or whatever yeah. maybe I, I mean here's what i'm imagining maybe somebody said do we want to make the the um prosthetic arm of a service member the the piece de resistance of a scene or shouldn't you know or is that perhaps a bit disrespectful should we just do it with with words instead with words and actors instead of you know here's my hooked hand you know which might be a bit off color there's the the sensitivity of the thing to consider and i think they rightly erred to uh to not do that and i mean if you're gonna get clancy brown you just you just let him do it you don't need you know you don't need to oversell it he's selling it just right he doesn't need a prosthetic hand that's true but how did they miss this matt tower asks reyes all the names were redacted not good no s 84 in this season matt i gotta check it against last season but we're getting there <laughs> uh, and I know we have plenty to go in, oh, in this episode. <laughs> Back to Matt's apartment we go. Stick says that Electra will live. So you do what one does when you hear that your your lady friend is going to live. You punch the person delivering the news. <laughs> I thought we did that already. I thought that they did it already too. And I'm so glad that Stick says it again because it was like it was acknowledging that Matt needs to do that in this moment. But we're not going to have the... I hate you, pseudo dad. You know, knockdown, drag out fight again. Uh, instead, Stick talks about the elaborate war. There's rocks on the hole, etc. Matt denies that there even is a war, and uh, he calls Stick the, you know, the stick that stirs the drink, essentially. <laughs> um, that he's just a uh, an old fighter dying to hit people, making up stories to justify it. And he ropes in the wounded and sits back and watch as they throw their lives away. When Matt finally sits down, Stick explains that this began centuries ago. How many? Nobody knows. But the S-86 that they are dipping into here is ancient. There were warlords and gangs who ruled countrysides not that much different from today. There were bloodthirsty brutes after stuff and girls. I'm sanitizing here <laughs> for Scott Glenn's excellent delivery, but it's it's put a little uh, saltier than that. But nothing's really changed, though everything has changed. But one day, their game changer, one of these collections of jerks, came across a thing he could barely understand, a real treasure, not gold or rubies. They found the secret, immortality, bringing the dead back to life. And Matt scoffs, but Stick points out, hey, you're a Catholic, right? Doesn't your whole belief system hinge on one guy pulling that off? He, Stick, does, uh, or rather uh, Scott Glenn I mean it's an amazing not just performance here but uh, there must be times as an actor you get a script and you go oh they gave me all the sit on the couch exposition backstory stuff that's that's great that'll I just get to tell a story here that's that's wonderful um but he handles it so well 
And uh, with that little jibe there about Matt's Catholicism, we're still not quite done with the uh, the backstory exposition. Not complaining here. It's totally where it needs to be. Stick is giving the big reveal of the world as it is. He talks of a reign of terror in Asia. Uh, the Yamanote, the hand, their goal, it's always weapons. Uh, one in particular, the, the black sky. It's around this point in the scene, by the way, Pete, really odd camera work with Scott Glenn. Sometimes he's not even in the frame completely. Um, I, I would even go so far as to say, I wonder if some of the shots that they used, it's like, he had to leave early, so you only had one take. Or, oh, the subsequent takes, we didn't know that the memory was full in the digital camera. This is the only footage that we have, something like that. Because some of there were a couple shots of him that were that were distractingly artistic or distractingly mistaken, whichever one shows the proper intent. They were really unusual angles, but then when you bring in the distant sound effects of swords clanging and uh you know men screaming for their lives as he's recapping the situation further they strangely work um we're we're told of the black sky and that nobody knows what it's it does because no one's Ever or they, the hand, have never activated one. It's not clear that anyone else has ever activated one. Somebody's got to know what this thing does, right? Uh, but they've tried to activate one, and they will try again. Uh, but they made one mistake. They made enemies. And uh, some say he was just a kid, but the hand came into his village. It killed everyone, Almost, except this kid, he pulled a knife from the breast of his dead mother and went to work, was finally standing over some of their finest warriors, and they gave him a name, The Chaste. Kid grew up, and he found every warrior he could, men, women, young, old, as long as they can kick, but without mercy. They are the only protection in this world against the hand, and Matt takes all of this in like it is and even calls it a fairy tale. So you're the chase. So I, I think the implication is not that Scott Glenn is the immortal child from the Far East, but he's a member of this group, the chase. I'm glad that you pointed that out, Pete, because initially I thought that the suggestion was that the phrase the chaste was a singular noun right. as opposed to a, a, a group noun. Uh, and it's really only later on where Electra makes reference to uses it in some way. I don't know if it's whether it's including her as a member of the chaste, but it's only later that it's clear that it is a group noun, which, which does shift the meaning quite a bit. And I dare say, um, is a weak area of what's an otherwise perfectly fine narrative. Because if you're thinking that Scott Glenn is the kid who had his village laid waste, but wasn't that in Asia? Wait, when are we talking about time? It just yeah. takes us down a whole muddiness as opposed to generation after generation, the army of the chaste gains members. That makes a lot more sense for what we're seeing here. 
It's such an info dump. It's an excusable mistake for the audience early on. Plus the fact that when Electra brings it up and says she's chased, there's no way she's actually chased, but I'm talking about the other meaning of chased, not the chased. Wow. Pete, I respect her decisions as a woman. Oh, I absolutely, I applaud her decisions as a woman. I'm just saying she can be a member of the chaste, not have chastity. Because <laughs> that ship sailed. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, it's noted amongst all this and amongst Matt's incredulity and snickers um, that let's not forget that Matt is there to protect the world or his his slice of it against baddies too. Oh, and by the way, Electra works for Stick. Boom, it's all it's all suddenly coming to a great deal of focus. In court, we're hit upside the skull by the gigantic skull slide, complete with a little red dot to where the bullet penetrated Frank's skull. And Dr. Lee is on the stand explaining that in the lower right quadrant, specifically the sphenosrunchal suture, blah, 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 <laughs> medical stuff, cranial, cranial sutures between the sphenoid bone and the frontal bones, all this pointing to exactly where he got shot, point blank, execution style, uh, the damage in his right frontal lobe and temporal lobe. Um, the effects of which have created something called sympathetic storming, a heightened and ongoing state of fight or flight, that his uh, sympathetic nervous system is hyperactive. It's as if he's reliving the incident over and over. It is a terrifying world that Dr. Lee proposes Frank Castle is in to the point that uh, – it gives us context. I mean, a lot of these comic book shows, you know, it's how do you kind of backtrack through the real world to get to where you need to be in the comics, right? You know, Punisher is a is a wears an all black suit with a humongous skull on it and shoots people and good guys try and stop him and sometimes he's a good guy. Okay, how do you translate that to the real world and oh, whatever bullet through the head and up 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 up. But here. This notion that Frank lives in a constant state of terror and heightened tension. It, I mean, it's a frightening thought. And, and, and it speaks to his professionalism as a soldier that he wouldn't, um, he wouldn't be aware that he is in this state. Because, of course, that's, that's a soldier's life. And, and there is the whole PTSD discussion and, and so forth where you need to transition out of that mental state. And the fact that he's stuck in it is just terribly, terribly sympathetic. It's mentioned that he cannot keep emotional control and he can't keep logic out of his worldview. I mean, you know, specifically his world, the way he is viewing things, he just, you know, logic can't enter into that because of this emotional state. And Dr. Lee concludes by saying the castle is suffering from extreme emotional disturbance as defined by the law and above the objections of the DA. He's never had a patient have witnessed their uh, murder of their entire family. Uh, simply put, he's been through hell. And you mentioned the PTSD, you know, Frank uh, over at the table with Karen says this sounds like they're they're going there and she has to reassure him that they're not, which they aren't. So this is an entirely different gambit, making it clear that 
his decision making is influenced by the trauma that he's been inflicted, that it is both physical, mental, and emotional, and that he can't fully be held responsible for those decisions that he's making. And then what happens? A man screams out from the gallery, clutching the uh, frame of a picture. We never see whose. Um, that you killed my dad. I don't give an S. 88, what you've been through. In the, uh, in, in the holding area, kind of the holding room, because now that the, the yelling man has been removed, uh, we're, I guess we're taking a little, little recess. Uh, it's Frank and Karen talking. Frank feels guilty for having killed that boy's father and is nudged by Karen to take the stand. He needs to share that he is not a monster, but instead someone that is suffering greatly. And really nice twist here, particularly since this is a season that I dare say is moving faster than we would have expected. Um, the fact that we're making our way through the trial here at the eighth episode, barely past the halfway mark, Frank asks Karen if she is sure he isn't a monster. The implication being, but what if I am? Yeah, um, they have formed this kinship here and the sympathy that Karen feels for Frank having been to his home, having seen the artifacts of his his children and his wife. Um, but still, there's this concern, what if this is all that he's become? She's sure that he's not a monster. Uh, he's not so sure. But she tries to bring him back that, listen, you know, if you are this, um, don't you deserve to know? Outside the courthouse, Karen catches up Foggy. Foggy is impressed to learn that Frank will take the stand. But Foggy is also unsure why they're helping a killer. That's a nice um, moment for Foggy as a character. And as a newer lawyer, I, I think the answer is simply this. If you are a defense lawyer, your job is to defend the client within the confines and allowances of the law, to quote a similar statement from another court TV show. Um, so again, I think it's, I mean, it's, it, it's placed there to show Foggy as a character and a man. It, it's not a particularly strong lawyerly moment. Um, by the way, Foggy also thinks that Frank is bat gunk crazy. <laughs> 90. <laughs> um, but, uh, the caveat is that, uh, they're going to have to get Matt to question, um, Frank on the stand. Karen is adamant. No, you're doing a great job. You're making Reyes plays to play defense. We don't need Matt to do this. And that speaks to where she is with the character right now. That is not a professional, uh, purely professional judgment, but, uh, she wants to know why foggy is constantly putting Matt in the driver's seat when she can do it. He maintains that they are partners for a reason that some people are better at some things than others but he's barely spent two seconds with frank um and that kid has nearly destroyed them the idea being the foggy just needs matt to you know be a lawyer since he's a lawyer but at the moment he isn't he's still in his apartment asking if electra uh meeting him was fate or a mission 
Um, her response is definitely uh, couchy. She's been trained a long time, but loved Matt and uh, is definitely uh, in on being a member of the Chaste, that group fighting the hand. So here's where you have that clarification as to the, the group noun usage of uh, Chaste. But Pete, Matt felt hollow when he thought he was losing her, despite how many times she's lied to him, which uh, we've all been there, haven't we? She's, she, she's no good, but, but alas, she needs to pick the path of good, though, he says. Will, he, will she beat? If only we'd find out in this episode. <laughs> um, and that they're, gonna, they're going to fight the right way, their way, together. Um, you know, he's, he's trying to bring her back from this dark path that she feels she's done him wrong by. Um, and that in college, she nearly snuffed out his light. Um, but luckily she failed. Suddenly, Matt, they have company because Matt hears it and, uh, stick brings Karen in opening the bedroom door and she sees all of this yet doesn't care and doesn't question any of it. And we really need to talk about that. Well then let's talk about it. I, I said to myself, knock, knock, who's there? Romance, romance, who romance triangle. Um, that said the fact that there's two guys in the apartment is suggestive that maybe this isn't Matt just having woken up after after uh, the old proverbial roll in the hay with this random foreign woman. Um, so, so what are your thoughts, Pete? Well, Karen comes in. There's a strange man in the apartment. There's a strange woman in Matt's bed. She's clearly not in post-coital bliss, but instead not looking any better for wear. And... You can understand. Indeed, she's pale, not glowing. Yeah. You can understand uh, Karen's emotional reaction. I can't understand her logical reaction. I'm just going to tell you that Foggy needs you and I'm going to leave. Not like, who is she? Who is he? What's going on here? Let's pretend Matt has tidied up. Let's pretend that, like, Daredevil stuff isn't around. I just I find it very hard to believe this wouldn't lead to more asking of more probing questions instead of the oh you're you're with a girl and a man let me in and <sighs> I overall agree with you and I think that it's not a stellarly written moment for Karen I think later on when she uh, when they're outside the courthouse and not to not to jump the timeline here, but later on when there's reference to, I don't know what's going on in your life, whether it's alcoholism or fight club or whatever. I, I think that if you put that scene in with this one to, to get a better look at Karen's mindset, I think the, the writerly answer is she's just had enough of the fact that he isn't living a completely honest life. And if she's an increasing part of that life, whatever this is, that doesn't make any sense. None of it points to, hey, babe, it's me. I'm going to be late today because an old friend stopped by with his uh, ward and she is sick and needs to lay down or whatever it is. The lack of explanation. Pete, Karen is communicating that she needs to be communicated with in this relationship. 
And I can certainly appreciate that. But at the same time, I, I just feel like to, to hold that off, that that's too writerly. That's too, oh, we can't reveal this yet. I mean, whether or not she's going to find out in this season or ever that Matt is the daredevil who she clearly admires um, and I think identifies too after what she did to uh, Wesley um, remains to be seen. But I just I had a problem the way this scene was presented. If, if there's one takeaway, Pete, it's that Matt needs to listen to those those two eternal words from the Dr. Fraser Crane. I'm listening. He needs to be a better listener in this romance with Karen. Nice meeting you. Back in court, um, Frank's fan club has shown up, including one guy who has a sign with a fist on it that says punish. I guess they don't know how to draw the skull yet. I don't know if it's really a thing that you can bring signs into court. If I was tough talking Manhattan judge, I would be like anyone who has a sign, you have 30 seconds and then the bailiff starts throwing people in jail and giving hundred dollar fines. There's to me, there's just no way that a jury case you'd have it. You'd have the, the, the observers be able to bring signs in. The idea is observers observe the clarity and, cleanliness of the judicial process not have signs that could sway the jury maybe i'm completely wrong lawyers listening let us know i just can't i cannot imagine that really being a thing in our world you want to say it's okay in the mcu pete maybe that's why the military has incursions into iran because it's the mcu and not the the real you i don't know but signs in the signs in the audience for a, a high-profile or any court case, I'm saying no bueno. Matt shows up uh, despite their concern that he wouldn't. He tries to apologize to Karen who, yeah, Foggy needs to go over stuff with you so she doesn't even want to talk to him. Uh, Foggy, standoffish with uh, Matt and vice versa. You wanted me here, Matt says. But Foggy makes it clear you are here uh, because you are almost as crazy as Castle. You just need him to tell his story. Um, no one's heard it except you, Daredevil. Um, so put the torture that you've put us, Karen and I, to good use. Uh, connect the dots here between Schoonover and Lee. Uh, Castle is brought into the courtroom in a suit but no tie to a chorus of boos. And then, Matt, a character that I am calling Officer Whispers goes up and whispers, because that's what he does, to Frank. Think about what you want, Frank. And I don't think it's like for dinner or a last dinner or want to do later. I think it means think about it it is a wonderful mystery thank goodness they don't tease it for too long because the reward is amazing but i like the fact that that whisper puts matt in such a difficult position something is clearly up um and matt has heard it from across the room but can't stand up and say your honor that deputy corrections officer over there just said this, like, th- then the superpowers will be outed. How do you deal with that? Um, 
while this is going on in Matt's face, Frank gets sworn in. The camera is extremely close up against him. Uh, the vertical lines of the, the rear of the set, uh, what I'm assuming is a set, and maybe it's a real courthouse, I don't know, but the vertical lines are like jail bars in the background. We feel trapped by this camera shot, trapped in his world. Uh, then it's finally time for Matt to stand up to ask Frank just one question. What happened the day your family was killed? And Frank answers that he doesn't understand crap. <laughs> 91. Um, so here's another issue I had with this episode. And overall, I, I really did like this episode. Um, but maybe again we can uh entreat some of the legal expertise of our listeners so matt asks for and is granted permission permission to treat the witness as hostile and then essentially grandstands he doesn't ask any questions <laughs> he explains that uh you know, he's the kind of man that the city needs, Frank is. Uh, the city needs help now. That the corruption that Fisk left, hmm, just a little bit of a callback there. Uh, you know, the, the city is sick. The cops can't do it themselves. We need heroes. There's applause. At one point, Matt even puts a hand up to the audience to stoke them. Um, that th they these heroes provide hope. And, uh, you know, that Frank... He, he needs help. He took it too far, uh, but he's not a common criminal. He just doesn't know the difference anymore and that you need to be the type of jury who's going to decide what you're going you're gonna to be. Um, and then we get this shot of Frank, this forlorn character who in the space of you know, seven and three quarters episodes, we've been all over the place and how we feel about him. He asks to speak and uh, we get this shot from behind, uh, you know, to, to further the camera work you talked before about Matt. And he goes on to say um, he wants them to know he would do it all over again, that it's a bull ass 92 uh even the even the judge Matt is keeping track of the language here. <laughs> points it out like Captain America. Okay, he knows what he did. He knows who he is. Uh, he doesn't need help. That any maggot piece of s ninety three that he killed, he did it because he liked it. Hell, he loved it. He's guilty. He's guilty, and he is finally restrained and hauled out of court, having essentially destroyed their case wonderful acting here out of Bernthal yes. particularly in light of what is to come he is able Bernthal is is able to make Frank appear crazy and then make Frank occasionally appear acting to be overly crazy there's even kind of the stammering where it's like you know and I I I I I do it again like it kind of becomes almost like a you know, like like he's having a seizure of some sort. It's poor. There, there are moments of poor acting out of Frank Castle because John Bernthal is doing such a wonderful job giving that kind of kaleidoscope of man who has real rage and real emotional disturbance and is making a conscious decision to act fake crazy as well. Um, 
Let's go back just one second to this notion of uh, of hostile witness. Pete, I just happened to be reading my copy of Strategy, Planning, and Litigation to Win by Dreyer, which in no way is footnoted in the Wikipedia article to hostile witness. Here's how it works. If the witness is giving testimony that is antagonistic or contrary to the legal position of their client, the attorney may get permission from the judge to declare the witness hostile. So it is something that the judge needs to permit. Um, if the request is granted, the attorney may ask leading questions, questions like, you saw my client sign the contract, correct? Or um, questions that challenge the witness's testimony. This is kind of the opposite of what we've seen in every other court show where you will say, you know, all sorts of things where there's the objection and it's speculative and overruled. Da, da, da. It, this is kind of taking the shackles off of that a bit when the witness isn't falling within the lines of of the the legal repartee back and forth. I mean, listen, this is court drama. This is not court fact. We know the difference. I think it it does take our viewer out of it just the slightest bit. It is effective for the way it is presented. And all the more so when Bernthal adds his outburst to get booted out of court here off the witness stand in a, in a move that, again, only dooms them and outside Foggy pretty much affirms. Uh, but Matt immediately after Karen says, you know, that wasn't him, says that he thinks somebody got to old Frank. Foggy accuses Matt of provoking him, veering off into vigilante land, as he says. Um, and he also buries his point. He's glad that they lost and he storms off. Karen doesn't want to hear another bull ass 96 excuse. Maybe Matt's an alcoholic. Maybe he's in a fight club. Maybe he's sleeping with a whole harem. She doesn't care. She's done. The city needs heroes. You're not one. Oh, snap. Irony. Thy name is Karen. Back to Matt's apartment. Electra is up barely. Stick tells her to go back to bed, and she says no. She doesn't want to be with him anymore. She wants to train Matt herself. Soft, Stick says. Matt is soft. He's made Electra soft. Uh, with that, she kicks Stick out. He needs to leave before she gets nasty. And uh, Stick does that, but asks if Matt will be surprised to find out what she is, what she always has been. What is it? Oh, man, Pete, it's like we have a whole segment for speculation of such <laughs> things. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, Stick has also been protecting her from unknown big bads. Um, so there's that kind of left in the air. Stick gets into his waiting car. It's so nice that Driver Man is directly outside the that apartment building. That is officially building. his name, too. Driver. There you go. Um, he, I think he's somewhat related to uh, to uh, Mr. Workman, um, who who got a job on an island, but that's a different story. Um, Stick tells his driver to take him to the wall. Uh, oh my, Pete, is this all connected? Are we are we going to Westeros? Um, but as they're the getting car... the band together back too. Enough of these um, amateurs before he says. Let's head to the wall. All of this watched by a hand archer across the way. Um, just gloom and doom left and right. Uh, we get a similar uh, camera shot uh, to see Matt arriving at home. Uh, sensing Stick is gone. Uh, but just as a side note, Matt pays the, the cabbie. 
I would be curious at some point to either find out myself or to hear from a listener how uh, people with limited or no sight navigate the world of of money and all of that, um, which I wondered as he paid the cabbie. But <laughs> well, I mean, think back to the other Daredevil, the the movie, and they have a scene of him going into uh, a drawer, and if they weren't folded differently or in different Braille uh, denominations, there definitely was a scene of that depicted. Um, quick internet search, uh, folding money, wallet with many dividers, scanners and assistive technology. So I guess it's it, it, between that movie and what you've just said and just the basic logic of you come up with the system, you get assistance to prep the system and then you, you initiate from there. Um, certainly makes sense. Um, anyhow, um, so Stick is gone, Matt finds. Electra is in bed, Matt finds. Where's Stick? Well, Pete, good news. Electra has made her choice for Shorzy's. She's <laughs> not going to kill anybody anymore <laughs> because she's made her choice. We as an audience say, I know this is for real, in part because it'll add long-term dramatic tension for the remaining 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, five episodes you love triangle who will he choose it's the bachelor with the rose got it of course she's going to make this choice and stick with it stick didn't like that choice after all and this is something like i hear all the time matt is the only person in the world who 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 sees the goodness in her like this is this is my life every day pete <laughs> she can tell that he lost today uh, he says that it doesn't matter, but that he's lost more than the case. But he didn't lose her. And again, she apologizes. Matt is not sorry, though. Um, and, uh, you know, how, how does this work? How, how do uh, Electra and, and Matt do this? Can they even do this? But they're going to figure it out. She just needs to rest now. It's a great little piece of uh, stage direction there where letting go of her hand, there's a lingering finger. Um, and then he takes off his tie. He closes the door and arrow through the right shoulder. Let's dial it back two seconds previous before the arrow is fired. Maybe Pete, my mind was drifting. I felt that though the Electra mat in bed, lost cause but lost some, lost the case lost something more all that whole bit i felt that it was extremely slow and i'm not saying every scene needs to be non-stop fighting if anything this is a show where i feel vaguely fatigued by the latest you know merely great fight scene you know we've, we've been spoiled and all that so uh, it certainly doesn't always need to be up, up, up. But I felt that that scene, while earned and honest and true, it was just like, oh my goodness, now all of a sudden this is about wading through the mud here. Your thoughts, Pete? I was okay with it. Um, I really like what Elodie Young has brought as far as another emotional layer to Matt. Made his choice right now with her. Until the following scene when, uh, you know, she's reverted to her murdering ways. But this fight that, you know, you, you talk about another action piece, but a one-on-one -on -one with a ninja here with the impediment of an arrow 
through his shoulder. Um, soon we move to sword play and then the stars come out. Uh, Matt's using the coffee table as a shield. Finally, finally has the ninja down, wants to know who he works for, takes the mask off, the heart's beating rapidly. Oh, it's just a kid. And then there's Electra to slash his throat, blood right across his white shirt that she's wearing. This is who I am. Symbolism? Duh. I like that as there's the reveal that it's just a kid, Matt is, seems to be struggling with something. And Matt Matt's dialogue suggests that it is because it is just a kid. But I was immediately thinking, oh, has he been poisoned too? Um, and and well, I suppose time will tell on that. But certainly that that seems to be where things are, are headed. Um, once she says, this is who I am, do you still want me? His shock at her seems to then at least possibly in my spoiler free existence for the next, you know, with no knowledge of the next episode, he does appear to be poisoned there. And, uh, that, that, that brings to the end quite the little domestic scene. Back in prison, Frank is clad, uh, for the first time in all white, not the traditional, uh, orange we've seen him in officer whispers comes in uh to get him the warden's orders you got a problem with that other cops are asked he parades him through the prison as um gang members and other cons yell things at him they know him gonna stick you one of them says that is uh prison slang matt that they would like to cut him or harm oh, him with I see what is known as a uh, shiv. They want to shank him with a shiv. And um, another police officer shuts two of the monitors off, uh, no doubt in collusion, this corruption here. Uh, doors are opened, cuffs are taken off, and finally Officer Whispers talks and says right through here, as a great overhead shot there just to reinforce we're not outside there is still a cage above them uh we see what the prison folk matt will refer to uh as the weight pile and uh we can hear iron being pumped uh a a rather uh large person is lifting up the dumbbells there finally puts them down Sits up. We've got the orange jumpsuit, so not quite sure how why some are wearing orange, some are wearing white. Maybe it was laundry day. Who knows? But the bald head, we know who this is. It's Wilson Fisk, and uh, he can see that Frank got his message. Objection, Your Honor. He's badgering the witness. Well, what do you want me to give him a testimonial dinner? Who brought the heat into Hell's Kitchen in this episode? Pete, let's start with the hand. Uh, at least we have one question answered from uh, an episode or two ago. You know, what made you think we were Yakuza? Here's the 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 more real reveal that it's the hand. That uh, cuts off fingers. That it, It's all disconnected, as it appears. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an opportunity story-wise 
to be uh, expansive. You know, the, the exact nature of the hand, its powers, its location, all of that. Well, I, I like know, that. It, I know both. The exact nature of the hand is that it's connected to the wrist. Um, that's where it's located. It has fingers. It can grasp. It can punch. Well, Pete, here we are back to back to to grammar one hundred and one. I was talking about <laughs> the hand as a proper noun, not a common noun. I like that we've had this air of mystery for several episodes. We've referred to them as not Yakuza because they were not the Yakuza. And now not only to see the multitude of these hand ninja, but also to get their backstory, to see how far it reaches. And then to, to get one of them humanized at the end, just a kid, probably – uh, victim of the same type of rhetoric and ideology on their side that um, Matt and Electra have been subject to on the side of the chaste. It does make me wonder, Pete, seeing that young man, teens recruited into a, the world of crime, the world of ninjas. We're in New York. Pete, we have the hand group here. I've heard of the Foot Clan elsewhere. Are we headed towards the episode 213, Daredevil? He goes in that sewer. That smells <laughs> like pepperoni pizza. Big reveal. What's up, bro? We're the Turtles. Ninja Turtles is Image Comics, right? Uh, yes. So, listen, not the rival in terms of DC, so wouldn't rule it out. I would, I would handicap it as... See what I did there, handicap. Uh, as as pretty unlikely though. Let's move on, Matt, to our old friend slash old nemesis stick. I I would like to denigrate the character. I would like to say, oh, it's just an act. You know, you have to have the the old Sarge in the war movies who says, you know, get up, you piece of gunk. And kicks your butt enough until you realize old Sarge is treating you the way you need to be treated. But Scott Glenn makes it more than that. And it's really, um, it's why he's a pro. I mean, the, the character does stir the drink the way he's intended to. But Scott Glenn brings more than that. I am such a fan of Glenn's recent work between here and uh, The Leftovers on HBO. Um, and it's not an enormous body of work. He's in a couple episodes of each, but he owns every minute that he's on screen and he has really become the, uh, you know, elder statesman action actor that you can go to who at the same time can give you the mumbo jumbo and, and deliver a line so loaded with promise and backstory and sell it officer whispers matt yeah i there's uh there's a good bit of casting that has gone on there for officer whispers he he looks kind of like trouble um but doesn't look like you know some sort of obvious bad guy either um the fact that we learn that he's uh apparently on the take uh or or part of some sort of you know inside prison uh, organized crime structure. Uh, I, I think is no surprise based on the fact that you know he is encouraging a witness to testify one way or another, which I don't think is the job of the corrections officers. 
uh, taking uh, folks to and from court. But uh, I don't know if we'll see more of him, but he, he certainly seems to be uh, working his way up in what could be the Kingpin organization part two. I know he is Officer Whispers because that's what he does, and we don't have a name for the actual character just yet. But I found it a little unrealistic that there he is, feet from the judge. Just think about what you want, Frank. I mean, really? We couldn't have delivered that maybe on the way into court beforehand. I I know we want to foreshadow for Karen for Matt, that something ain't right, that there's a connection uh, either visually with this cop or just in terms of the tone. It it just felt a little over the top, but such is the nature of corruption in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It is, it is swirly mustache corruption. Well, I guess two two responses there one is i believe as frank was being brought in and and being seated and all of that i think there was still the buzz of the the buzz of the audience and all of that so if you want to if you want to say well the judge didn't hear because there was a buzz you know because everybody was talking and only matt heard it because of his superpowers you know i i think that's permissible within the story here's another possibility though pete what if the judge didn't care whether she heard or not? I mean, we saw that last yeah. season yeah. where Kingpin could get anywhere. Maybe it's just, hey, judge, you want to keep those pictures back in the envelope? Just call it a fair trial for things done in court. When court is not in session, don't worry about it. When you have yet to say, bang, bang, Mr. Bailiff, now please swear him in, that's the start of court. Do your job. Until then, don't worry about it. That I can I can get behind. And finally, Matt, Wilson Fisk, the great Vincent D'Onofrio that you didn't know was coming here. Pete, let me talk now to my brothers and sisters out there, part of the spoiler-free army, working hard every day with your living, pop living, culture. Living with blinders on. You're a bunch of Matt Murdochs and sticks out there. Hey, you know what? Listen, the this episode... My brothers and sisters, this is the virtue of remaining hashtag spoiler free, hashtag spoiler pure, because I had absolutely no idea. And the way that the episode presents that last prison scene, clearly something is up. Clearly, Frank is being taken away. You know that he's prepared to die for what he has done. So if he's being let off to get a bullet in the head or whatever, he's okay with that. We're taken through the busyness of the prison then each subsequent layer to get to the gym it's quieter it's brighter it's a physical space that is more open and when we got to the gym which appeared to be empty and the camera work was slowly starting to both show the gym but not show everything that's when i said oh my goodness a gym weightlifting could it be and then as soon as you saw that massive, well, what most of you would say is a massive amount of weight, I would say is just, you're getting warmed up. But as soon as that appeared, I said, yes, my spoiler-free existence is worth it. And when that big, beautiful, bald head popped up into view, to behind you know, us just seeing the back of Fisk's head, and D'Onofrio turns around, gives the line, episode ends with the Marvel-esque flair of then giving him his credit. 
uh, a la the special way special guest star. Yeah, special guest star at the end. They've done Pete what we have asked for as TV viewers for decades. Don't name that special person right. in the opening credits or or after the title card because then you go. Oh, I just saw the name of Jack's dad. So Jack's dad is going to be in this episode of Lost this time. Let's look out for what it is. That means it's a flashback or it's a dream or it's a, a mysterious a smoke monster. Dream. Flashback dream. It's a, <laughs> a whole Batman other story. Double-decker dream. Which, which Fut- it turns out, is not a dream. Future but actually It's future memory, yeah. Not sideways. Even, yeah. But this makes it all worth it. Spoiler-free army. I was absolutely blown away. Wait, I was walking on the and air. An army, you're all over the map with your spoiler uh, dirty Pete, rings and and your 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 spoiler prophesizing. Pete, uh, listen, you you go out anywhere in the holidays, you see the Salvation Army. That's that's for <laughs> but one season a year that they're out there godoing godoing. I'm giving my bell every week on the Fantastic Geek family of podcasts saying, be spoiler-free, my friends. Uh, be spoiler-free. It's living worth is it. easy with eyes closed. Uh, how did you not see him coming here? Um, Matt, TV works by formula, and when you are led by Officer Whispers through the prison, it is not to the showers to get stuck by some surly inmate it is to see Wilson Fisk, the kingpin, who we need to catch up with. It bears mentioning that this is the eighth episode of the season. This was the first episode that was not screened for uh, critics, for press, prior to the 13 episodes being released all in once on March 18th. So to hold this surprise back, you can see why they gave us ahead what they did you can see why they held this back for everybody it was still out there matt i will admit to you and i would encourage newer listeners to the podcast go back and listen to our podcast for episode 113 fisk was always out there in the in the world he Mm -hmm. was always still in prison the notion that you could get vincent d'onofrio for uh, to work for five or six months on the first season and then still get him back for the next season to me i always thought was just kind of a logistical uh challenge because he is a high profile actor uh yes he's new york based so that's slightly less but you know what you want to fly the dude out to uh hawaii and new orleans to do jurassic world he'll go do that too um I did, though Fisk was a character out there, I did not know Vincent D'Onofrio was up for grabs. And this, I mean, it, the, the, the more as that scene progresses, the better chance it is for it to be Kingpin. But I was blown away that this scene was added. Yes, there was the mention of Fisk back in prison, but he's been mentioned periodically throughout yes. before. This is, hey, Janet Lee's in this movie. Awesome. It was a, it was a level of surprise to that degree. Yeah, and he brings the, you know, pun intended, the weight that we need to this street-level Marvel universe. And to have him pop up here at the end of the episode is welcome. Uh, it's not necessary. Uh, it's it's the cherry on top of the sundae. 
Your Honor, may I approach the bench? May I approach the bench? time to step aside and approach the bench to discuss some off-the-record theories. You be the judge. Matt, are Stick's senses diminished from when we last saw him? Um, Maybe, even possibly. Again, I, it's kind of this question of where is the Scott Glenn acting line? Where is the actor challenged by wearing cloudy contact lenses where where charlie cox gets instead to train with a guy for several weeks who is blind to learn how to act where scott glenn is maybe given some ancillary training given clouded uh contact lenses so things like him cutting the apple i just felt it was kind of slightly weird head movements so is the character diminished or is the actor doing his best to act a certain way i'm i'm not sure I don't chalk it up to any performance choices that uh, Glenn made. I'm referring to his ability to come in, save the day, uh, kill a guy, throw him into, you know, a at least 40 story hole to sense all sorts of ninjas chasing them uh, on rooftops far away to twice fire a crossbow in reverse, including hitting a target in midair, and then not know where the pliers are in the apartment. Huh. Well, when you put it like that. <laughs> or, hey, Maddie, use that hearing of yours, not the hearing that I possess, that I can tell where these guys are on rooftops uh, to hear her heart. <laughs> Is he making Matt like feel good? Like, hey, you're here too. I'll give you something to do, or is is it really inconsistent how they're presenting his powers? This is a guy who, when he first taught Matt, or, or first began to uh, taught uh, to teach Matt, was uh, you know walking him through. Hey, you smell the ice cream there? What, what what do you what do you taste? Where's it from? Blah 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 blah. Oh, I'm gonna tell you where it's from, and and goes through the litany of of things, and was what was just a a, a great scene for performance and, and for detail and for nuance. And now, you know, he's, he's fumbling around on the counter and in, in what could be the, the world's worst cooking show. <laughs> uh, well, when you put it like that, either it's either there's a character answer, which is his skills are diminished or it's a, a writing issue. Uh, it, it appears perhaps to be the latter, I guess, thumbs up to the, to the story in that it's not, it's not uh, an obvious diminishment from scene to scene as required by the scene, but that does appear to be the case. If you can sense first wave and second wave of ninjas coming after you, but don't know where the pliers are, as you said, or uh, or things of that sort, it, it, it might be. He was be. told the baking soda is in the fridge. Okay, I turn around, I grasp for the fridge, I find the baking soda. Instead, <laughs> repeatedly asking for it. And I get it. He was squirting toilet bowl cleaner into a into a big mug, okay, into into a bowl. But yeah, just seemed kind of like he wasn't with it, and then was with it, and then wasn't with it. You know, is it a Mister Magoo act? Is it not? It it just felt all over the map. How about Matt? This nature, the subject of immortality. 
That certainly pairs up nicely with the notion that the ninjas attacking at the top of the episode uh, that had no heartbeats, uh, initially I think it was explained away as, you know, oh, they are well-trained, so it's, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, you can lower your heartbeat, blah, blah, blah. The notion that maybe they have no heartbeat because their heart beats no more uh, certainly is a delicious one. And given that with Iron Fist, and Doctor Strange were headed towards uh, more of the mystical, and that was kind of, kind of, sort of floated as a possibility last season on Daredevil. But then, uh, oh, maybe, maybe Madame Gao just stepped away really quickly when you weren't looking, or you know, I mean, we as the audience kind of know which way the wind is blowing. But the fact that it was coincidentally magic, uh, magically possible, as opposed to what we're headed in more. Uh, it certainly is a delicious, delicious uh, perspective. I had not thought of the heartbeats and uh, coming back from the dead. Although if you were brought back from the dead, I don't think you'd necessarily in this universe be undead, but be alive again, you know, like the Jesus. But um, to to have this floated in this realm for the first time that that people can come back that they found this secret and that they don't fear death because of it uh, is still pretty cool. Matt, what do black skies, because we know there are multiple of them, what do they do? I have no idea. I mean, the term is a scary one. Does it suggest some sort of, uh, you know, something that either either literally or metaphorically would blacken the sky that that suggests something that would have an, an effect on uh, you know multiple people, hundreds, thousands of people. Um, it's uh, it's something that I hope we get clarification on in these remaining episodes. Goodness knows there's there's the story space because we're not going to do five more episodes of of Frank's uh, trial and whatnot. And I can only imagine that we have more D'Onofrio in the all thing. So I guess time will tell. We've seen one black sky. We've seen the the child that was imported in the um, shipping container. And we were told that uh, Stick, we were told by Stick that he killed it off screen. But it's one character telling us that he did something to another character. And though I think we buy because of his brutality that stick would kill a child. I don't know if it's necessarily true. Matt is Karen blind. Uh, no. Why do you ask? How did she not put two and two together there and figure out that Matt might be the daredevil? Um, you know, Pete, we see the things that we want to see and, Here's what she does see. Matt is a very blind man, and the man in black, the devil of hell's kitchen, is able to navigate his way around the world in, in a way that certainly suggests sightedness. Uh, I, I think it's I think it's believable that uh, that many people wouldn't put it together. You know, when she sees him after this scene outside the courthouse, she references the alcoholic thesis that she's come up with she throws out for the first time the idea of a fight club and a harem but this strange older man this strange foreign sounding woman and the idea that he's 
he scrubbed the apartment of of any daredevil gear. I can't imagine. Yeah, we know that she uh, was was laid down, Electra. That they were going to wait hours. That clearly it was overnight. But I just can't see him with Stick being there. Hey, Stick, you stay there and cut your apple. I'm going to fold my Daredevil costume and put it back into the Daredevil trunk and put that back into the Daredevil closet. Oh, I could definitely see that happening. Uh, I mean, I, I while guess, she's sleeping I mean, overnight. It almost, it almost smacks of, can we then maybe write it from a logistical standpoint that, okay, you're going to tell me the story of the hand as I'm listening and folding my Daredevil clothes. I think that, that that would have been perhaps a bit of an improvement, but flip side, would it have taken away from the, the really important narrative? I think it's fair to assume that when Matt gets done daredeviling, he just takes the outfit off and puts it away, and that that's perhaps all of all five minutes for it to get hidden away. I, I, I buy it. What is Electra that she's not told Matt about? I mean, the only option floated thus far is that, you know, she never loved him. It was all part of an act to recruit him. But that's not an that's not an it. That's not kind of the level of what's being suggested. So uh, similarly, we haven't seen her um, use powers in a way that's uh, above and beyond what a normal human could do, uh, a well-trained human could do. Um I, I truly have no idea. I think it's wonderful that there's so much gas in the tank of this season that with five episodes to go, there are so many, not just mysteries, but there are so many new corners to turn. Uh, again, no complaints from last season, but I'm seeing a better season this outing where there's just a faster pace to it. There's more segments to it, and uh, I can't wait to find out. Could she be a black sky? Eh, maybe, but if black skies have never been used, so whatever that power is, do you, do you, do you wave your finger at someone for not sharing that they're a thing that no one has ever seen go off? Well, if there's, you know, activated is the is the word there. Um, so to reach your full potential, that activation, if we're going to dip maybe into some level of inhumanity or kind of similar to what Jessica Jones with you special people in humans never being referenced, but powered or enhanced or any other vagary that we might come up for it they would kind of fall under that umbrella? Well, then again, my, my response would be, if she is a powered person like the Inhumans, like have been appearing in, the, in, in their world for some time now, then let's see it when you're in Mortal Kombat, lowercase m, lowercase c. Uh, <laughs> like, let's see that then. If you have the power to freeze, to shoot laser beams, to multiply to whatever i think we would have seen it already therefore pete you're making me think that there is a better chance that she is black sky because spoiler free matt will make the prediction that she will die this season perhaps it will be in the activation of her black sky status what is the wall pete the wall was built a thousand generations ago to be 
a mile high solid ice. It's it not weeps, a mile high, but anyway. <laughs> or whatever. It weeps in the summer but does not melt. And uh, I have no idea. Maybe it is the street where once on Manhattan Island there was a wall. <laughs> the Wall Street. What is Wilson Fisk up to with Frank Castle? I don't know, but I can't wait to find out. The idea that Wilson Fisk is always the kingpin. He always is setting up this uh, this uh, mechanism around him to control, et cetera, et cetera, is uh, a, a really wonderful one. And the idea that he hasn't skipped a beat and he's just reorganized and he's now running at least certain things, running his own sphere of operations out of the prison is is an idea that I really, really enjoy. Cover your ears, Matt. Okay, I'm, I'm covering it. Wilson Fisk just needs a spotter. Can, can I come back, Pete? You can come back now. Oh, okay, good. Boy, I guess I have to listen to the podcast to know. Or not. We've been using our enhanced senses to monitor the frequencies. Here's what you had to say. Pete, first up is an email from our pal, Mike Sorensen. Uh, this is in reference to Daredevil episode 206. Uh, that's the one where they you know, steal the security card and break into the office building. Uh, Mike says, when you guys were talking about the security guys... Uh, it wasn't the security the security monitor guys. It was Gibson's security guards that were in the bathroom. They were preparing to kill Gibson for his failure, but they themselves were killed for their failure to protect Gibson from the attack. So some clarification there about the uh, the many layers uh, f- surrounding the uh, the late Mr. Gibson. I mean, listen, I think some of that is possible i don't know if all of it is possible i'll I'll discuss why in a moment um how about a line of dialogue like you two should have done a better job in that bathroom to make it clear um additionally we've had other people write in and say that they were the guards from the bathroom so points for mike points against that we've had other people say that the string around the fingers was to make a tourniquet because they were going to lose their own fingers. Instead, they got special holes in the back of their skulls. Pete, Yakuza, the hand, Roxon, it's just great that if you are an aimless, uh, shifty young man looking to hurt people, all these places are hiring. Especially lately, since they're now down to security guards. Robert T. Frost writes into the Fantastic Geek Facebook page, Matt. I love the deep Marvel continuity. D.A. Samantha Reyes was in Jessica Jones, episode 13, Smile. She and Jerry Hogarth were legally sparring over what charges, if any, Jessica would face over the killing of Kilgrave. Wow, really, really nice catch there. Uh, thank you, thank you, Robert. That's, um, I mean, that's uh, that's uh, it's amazing. I don't remember her, but I certainly trust him, and that's uh, all the more continuity here. By the way, Pete, uh, 
for those so interested to uh, double check the role that she played in Jessica Jones, just watch out if you head over to the uh, the Marvel Wiki because uh, I just read something there that was definitely uh, a little spoilery. So beware of spoilers. And speaking of being spoiled, we just want to thank our listeners who have gone to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek and uh, have seen all the different perks we have. And most of all, we want to say thanks to listeners who are helping lend a hand with the uh, the costs that the podcast creation process does incur, uh, the, the bandwidth, the storage, and all the other techity tech techs. So thank you, Patreon pals. We're super grateful for everybody who's even considered going there and looking at the various perks that we've uh, put up for people who dip into their funds. We we know nobody's got too much, so uh, all the more thankful when you would choose to throw some our way. Pete, throwing things other people's way every day is you on Twitter. How can people follow you there? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E, T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 7,509 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole variety of ways. We are a fantastic geek that is fantastic with the P and the H. You can find us under that name on the Gmail, the Twitter, the dot com, the Instagram, and more. Facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek. All one word again with the PH. You click the little thumbs up. And when you're interacting with us, there'll be no dumbs up. Well, with that, Pete, we will be back soon enough to talk Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as that is uh, in the home stretch of its uh, third season. We'll be wrapping up Daredevil in the coming weeks as well. Before you know it, Pete, we'll be talking about what we have planned this summer. I think it'll uh, it'll resonate well with a whole bunch of our audience. Won't even give the least little bit here of a hint. But, uh, but that's all for today. So I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. So, who wants to get the hell out of here? Back in New York.